Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 7, Paul presents us with a dilemma. And some would say chapter 7 is actually written to the unbeliever, the man and the woman who has never met Jesus Christ, and rightfully so. If you are not in Christ, then Romans 7 really describes your life. But in actuality, Romans chapter 7 is a part of the larger book of Romans that was a letter to the Roman Christians. And chapter 7 is a part of Paul's argument pertaining to the spiritual life for those who are in Christ. You see, in chapter 5, we are justified and we are righteous because of faith and because of the grace of God. In chapter 6, we are identified with Christ. We've been baptized with Christ. We are in Christ. But like the Corinthian believers, even though we are in Christ, we can nevertheless live very carnal, fleshly-driven lives in which sin is still predominant within us. So we come to chapter 7 in which Paul wants to address how do we deal with the residual issues of sin? Because even though we are born again, even though Christ lives within me, there is nevertheless still this residual sin that's trying to preoccupy my life. So Paul says, okay, I will employ the law and we will use the law of Moses to overcome the issues of sin. And in chapter 7, you realize the law, even though it's good and righteous and holy, it actually provides no power for the overcoming of sin. In a way, Paul would say in chapter 7, okay, I'm going to do good. I'm going to think good. I'm going to feel good. I'm going to be good and I'm going to do good. And it actually doesn't work. The more good Paul tries to do, the more sin takes a hold of him. Then Paul says, okay, on the other hand, I'm going to avoid evil. That's it. This is how I will overcome sin. I'm going to ignore it and shun it and pretend like it's not there. I am going to be in denial. And that doesn't work. And so the tension in Romans 7 is not just the tension of the unbeliever, but it's particularly the tension of the Christian. I'm saved. I, I want to walk with God. But neither the law nor the doing of good, nor the avoiding of evil actually helps me live the overcoming life. It doesn't help me with my anger. It doesn't help me with my bitterness and the wounds within my soul. It doesn't help me with my relationships. It doesn't help me with my habits and my addictions and my lusts and my greed within. In chapter 7, Paul would say, I'm really a miserable man when I live within this matrix of the law and good and evil. And it's a dilemma. But then comes the glorious chapter 8, where Paul says that the law of the spirit of life can set us free from the law of sin and death. And we can live now this overcoming life. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, the marvelous words from Paul is that we, by the Spirit can put to death the deeds of our body. Not by the law, not by being good, and certainly not by denying, avoiding evil. In this message, I want to just bring you along that good is not the answer to the spiritual life. And I will show you that good in itself is actually not bad. Doing good, you can't find fault with good. But the Christian's goal is not really to be a good 
person because many Christians do good, but they reek of self-righteousness, like the ancient Pharisee who did a lot of good, but he was so engrossed with self-righteousness. And that's the, the trap of good. No, the Christian's goal is not good. The Christian's goal is Christ. We don't live for good. We live Christ. And in this message, I want to bring you along on this idea, this concept, and this way of living. As believers, of course, we do good. And the fruit of the Spirit is to do good. But I want to show you how if you just pursue good in your mind and try to clean yourself up and overcome the issues of your body by yourself, I want to tell you you're in Romans 7 and it's not going to work for you. Yes, there's a lot of good a Christian should do. And you can read about that in Romans 12 and onwards. But Romans 12 follows Romans 8. Romans 8 is right there in the middle explaining how by the Spirit you can overcome the issues of your flesh, the issues of your deficit, the issues of residual sin in your life. All the good that Paul wants us to do in Romans 12, um, how to overcome evil with good and not be overcome, all that is on the heels of Romans 8. So let's look at again how good it is not the economy of God, but it's rather the fruit of the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, Paul tells us how to overcome this pitiful condition of this tug of war within me. This war that wants to do good but can't and is pulled to evil. How do I overcome this predicament within me, this conundrum within me, this war, this fighting within? This Dr. Jekyll and Hyde syndrome that all of us have. Because there's parts of you that, that leans into good. And of course, there's parts of me that leans into evil. And so this good and evil constantly fight with one another. I want to address this issue a little bit from Romans 8. Because in Romans 8, Paul speaks how we can overcome this issue. He says, first of all, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The issue is not to pursue good. The issue is not to avoid evil. The issue really is to come into Christ Jesus. And you'll see, I'll point this out to you in just a minute. Good and evil is in a territory or a realm called death. Both good and evil belongs to something that's not of God. It's of the tree, of the knowledge of good and in the day that you eat thereof, you will die. Oh, I can do good and die? Yes, good and evil belongs to the same tree, which is opposite the tree of life. Life is something altogether different. Is there good in life? Yes. Is there no evil in life? Yes. But life does not fixate on good versus evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil fixates on that. And here's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil essentially says. If I do more good then evil, then I live. This is godliness. This is spirituality. Just do more good and avoid more evil. Now, beloved, that is not the economy of God. That's the economy of religion. See, religion capitalizes on this yin and yang. Religion says, in essence, let's suppress the evil. Let's overcome the evil and let's do more good. 
Let's be givers. Let's even sacrifice. Let's pray more. Let's fast more. Let's check the box more. If I can just outweigh good versus evil, this is what life is all about. Beloved, this is religion. Listen carefully. Religion's end goal is to make you a good person. God's end goal is to make you godly. Let me capitalize on that for a minute. Religion is wanting to do good. Religion wants to serve God. And by religion, I mean all the religions of the world, including a fake slash inferior version of Christianity. Let's just do more good. Let's avoid evil so that we are good people. So this is the realm of religion. And what's its end goal? Is to make you a perfect human being. To make you a really good human being. And in a way, sinless. Purge the evil. And so the highest level, listen, the highest level that the tree of good and evil can get you, the highest peak and zenith that you can reach in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is just to be really good. But according to the revelation of the entire counsel of God's Word, good cannot attain to the righteousness of God. Flawless living, perfect living, the avoidance of all evil still cannot make you right with God. In fact, it makes you self-right. And so people who pursue good, this is my focus, to be a good person, to avoid evil. I will never, I will always. That tension can bring them only to this level where they are extremely good people. And beloved, when you arrive at good, sin is right there because sin is a part of good. The tree of good and evil is the tree of death. So how can death be in good? Well, because it provokes self-righteousness. So when I do good my whole life, I pursue a merit system. The brownie points are collecting. And as I collect these badges of accomplishment and avoiding, and accomplishment and avoiding, a strange pharisaical self-rightness builds within me. And that self-rightness is an issue before God, not the fact that you did good. God does not mind you doing good. If you give your tennis shoes, if you help old lady across the street, if you wash someone's car, those are good things. And God is not against good. By all means, do the good. But if you are not in Christ, sin will provoke through the good pride within your heart, self-rightness within your heart. Because everything in the world has been usurped by Satan. Helping the old lady across the street? Well, how innocent is that? But listen, that has been usurped by the devil. Stopping next to the road, helping somebody with the car. That's a good thing. But Satan can creep into it. Why? Because it's elements of the world. So even in that good, Satan creeps in and takes advantage of the heart of a man. Now, again, hear me. God's not against you stopping and helping somebody next to the road. No problem with that. But it's the self-righteousness that's provoked. Why? Because I'm not in Christ. I'm in religion. I am in the tree of good and evil. And when you eat thereof, you're going to experience death. This is what really the book of Romans is about. And particularly chapter 7. In chapter 7, Paul is describing a life in a way outside of Christ. And for many of us, even a life in Christ where I'm not leaning into the Spirit. I'm not minding God. I'm not living by Christ. It's me still trying to live the Christian life. Me trying to live the religious life. 
And so you'll see that this man in Romans 7 has this tug of war and he's absolutely torn into different directions. He, he wants to do good, but then there's evil and it's pulling him. And in fact, he concludes by saying, I'm a miserable man. I've got massive problems. Even though I want to do good, I have a real big issue. God is not into good people. God is into God people. This is the revelation of the New Testament especially. He wants you to be Christ-like. Not self-absorbed, but Godly, not goodly. Again, the highest peak of all religious endeavors is just to be good. The highest level for God's New Testament economy is godliness, God-likeness. He wants God men and women on earth. That means God incarnated into you. It's about God, not about good. Now in Romans 7, there is this account of a man who is outside of Christ, but it can often also be an account of many of us maybe in Christ who don't live by Christ. We live by good. We live fixated on evil and we die and we wonder what, what more can I do? In Romans 8, Paul says that we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. We don't go on a crusade against the body. We mind the Spirit. We learn to live by life, the law of the Spirit of life. And there will be a strange endowment from heaven to deal with the issues of the body. Versus me trying to use all sorts of formulas to deal with the body. So in Romans 7, from the Message Bible, Paul says, But I need something more. For if I know the law, but I still cannot keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I cannot do it. I decide to do good, but I really don't do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me, Every single time. So even if I do good, but I'm not in Christ, that good becomes a badge of, look God, look what I did for you. You owe me. It's, it's a self-righteousness. And it also is a comparison between me and you. See, I helped the lady today. Why didn't you help the lady? And so it becomes a judgment. That very good thing can just like that be turned around and it can become sin in me. It's strange how that works. He says it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commandments. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in with that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? 
Well, well said, Brother Paul. I can certainly identify with this um, issue of I'm in a dilemma. And the dilemma is simply called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the New Testament wants you to do good. The New Testament wants you to bear fruit. The New Testament wants you to stop sinning. But it will not be by the means of self-effort or religion or disciplines. It will always be by the Spirit of God. So if by the Spirit you deal with the issues of the body, only then will you truly live. But if you try to deal with the issues of the body, you will die. And again, it's fascinating how we can do good. And yet in that good, you die. So how do you die? Okay, so you help the lady across the street. You give money. You serve. You, you work your hands to the bone. Well, how do I die from that? Well, that's self-righteousness. That little voice inside, I hope somebody saw me. I hope somebody heard me today. That little brag in there, that little badge of honor. God, aren't you proud of me? That causes God's spirit to, in a way, withdraw. He cannot approve of that kind of uh, self-rightness. That's why many of us, we can do good and then we still don't connect with God and we wonder like, shoot God, didn't I just serve my tail off today and you didn't answer my prayer for a friend or for a breakthrough? Because we use good as a bargaining chip. God, didn't you see that I, I didn't sleep around last night? God, can I please have something? You use it as a manipulation. So what good and evil does is it incites all sorts of things within you as bargaining chips, as manipulations, as limelight, spotlights. And as a result, the Spirit of God can't anoint that. God can't fellowship with self-righteousness. God fellowships where there's humility and meekness. And this is what Paul is trying to teach us. Lean into the Spirit. Mind the Spirit constantly. So when you help the lady across the street, you, you help the lady, but you never hold that as a chip, as, as a badge, as a God you owe me type of thing. One last word and then we'll jump into Romans 7 just a little bit. Um, I've noticed in my own life that I pursue what I call a transactional spirituality often with God. I will pray for two hours. Then I will bring that before God and say, God, now you owe me a breakthrough here or there. Yeah, I fasted for 21 days. Now you do something for me. That I've come to discover in my own life is a transactional spirituality that is based on my manipulation. I'm not really fasting to fellowship with God. I'm fasting to get a car. I'm fasting to get a better life. Where the New Testament reveals fasting is actually supposed to be fellowship with God. But I use fasting as a bargaining chip. I use it as a transactional. You know, I've got 10 credit hours of fasting. God, I need you to do a little breakthrough here. And then, of course, often when God does not do the breakthrough, here's what I do. I try harder. I fast 20 hours. Or I abandon ship and say, obviously God doesn't love me. So this, this, this area of good and evil is, is in a land all by itself. And it is a pitiful way to live. It's an inferior way to live. It's not the New Testament way to live. And let me show this to you from a little graph that I have here on the screen. I took Romans 7 and divided it up between the good in you and the evil in you. Now, when you were created by God, you were created with an original beauty that is good. 
You were created, first of all, with a beautiful body that is good. You were created with a beautiful soul that is good. A soul that is creative, intelligent, just in the image and likeness of God. Sin came in and added this fallen element, this dark nature to your being. It didn't do away with your good. Your good is still there. Your body is still there, but it gained an additional element we call sin. Sin is the nature of the enemy of God. And sin causes you to rebel and derail, and sin twists and perverts any and everything. So, you maintain the beauty of the original creation, but notice in the sketch how the black sits right there behind it. Every time I think a creative thought, sin is right there to twist that creative thought for selfish gain. Anytime I have feeling, sin will provoke that feeling and turn it to anger or to lust and craving and covetousness. I have a will to do things, but now sin will creep into my volition and make me do only my own things. So God created you with a mind, a will, an emotion, a solical creature, beautiful. But all of a sudden, all those elements get perverted. It's the same with your body. God created you as a homo sapien, uh, as flesh and blood. You're made from the earth and you're supposed to be a kind of a pot, um, a container for your soul and for the spirit of God in your spirit. Beautiful body, nothing wrong with the body. Everything in the body, beautiful. But here comes sin. And sin overlays that body. And sin creeps into every faculty of that body. And begins to sort of twist it, pervert it, contaminate it. And so a beautiful body turns into flesh. A beautiful soul turns into self. And that tension within you is between these two dynamics. The original created good and the fallen element that's the addition. The original beautiful body that's meant to serve God and the fallen element that is in addition to that. So this is the war between good and Evil. So let me show this to you from Romans chapter 7. Look what I did here. How I highlighted the evil side with gray. And how I highlighted the good side in white. It's the yin and the yang. And that takes place within your created body and soul. This is not an issue of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God operates on a whole different plane. The plane of life. The plane of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The plane of resurrection power. Here is the tension of good and evil. So I'm going to read Romans 7 for you. And watch the tug of war between good and evil. So here it starts off with the evil. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells nothing good. He's obviously referring to the carnal, fleshly, fallen side of the man. Can you all follow with me? Mm -hmm. In my flesh dwells nothing good. But in contrast, he says, however, to will is present with me. That word will is connected to the word good. It modifies that. So I have evil that is in my flesh, but in my will, I want to do good. Where's the will? The will is in your soul. The volition is in your soul. I have a desire in my soul to do good. Then he says, but to work out that good is not. I don't have the power 
and the energy to do the good that I want to do, that I will to do. For I do not do the good which I want. But the evil that I don't want to do, this I practice. Notice how he describes the evil inside of him. Then he says, But if what I do not will, see, I do not want to do evil, it's on this side. He says, this I do, it's no longer I that work it out, but it's actually sin that dwells in me. He's describing the evil side, the sin side. I want to do good, but sin usurps me. Sin takes a hold of me. Then he says, I find that there is a law within me, there's a principle within me that wants to do good. I want to please God. I want to help the lady. I want to give money. I want to sacrifice my life. And I want to do the good things of God. And in context here, he speaks about the law of God. I want to even obey the law of God. Um, there is a particular brand of Christianity that teaches the total depravity of man. And it's a rather good teaching because it's basically trying to say that every portion of man is absolutely depraved. And then they take it a step further. They say, there's nothing good within a man. Well, that's not true. There is good within a man. That tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and? Yeah, there is good within a man. But yes, because of sin, and they are right, and yes, this is the truth. Because of sin, that good is even usurped and manipulated and perverted, if you will. But yes, there is good within people. There are a lot of people who are godless, that do not care to serve God, and yet they are stunningly good. How can that be? Christians would say, oh, that is total depravity. They, they, there's not really good. They are good. They give billions of dollars to invent this and invent that and feed this nation and help that, and yet they themselves are atheists. So yes, there is good within folk. And here it is. I, I, I want to do good. I find that there's a law, a principle within you that wants to pursue good. And by the way, this is even within many of us as Christians. We think Walking with God is to pursue good. This is what the Christian life is. Now, yes, the Christian life is good. But the Christian is not now fixating on good. The Christian lives by the Spirit who does the good. The Spirit who bears the fruit of love and joy and peace. It's not me trying to be a peaceful person anymore. It's a power that comes into the believer where the fruit is not of effort, but the fruit is an endowment of the Spirit. But there is good within me to try to do the things of God. Then he says, on the other hand, I find that evil is present within me. I want to do good, but evil pulls me this side. This is where we say, often when you try to do good and God is not present, you'll see that evil is going to try to usurp the good that you do. You want to get up in the morning and spend time with God. Nothing wrong with that. But if you don't do it by the Spirit of God, and you don't obey the knock of the Spirit, and you never learn to yoke yourself to the Spirit, whose burden is light, whose commandments are not burdensome, what you will do is you'll start having, let's say, a time with God every morning. And that time with God is a pursuit of good, but if it's not by the Spirit of God, it eventually becomes a badge for your own judgment of success. Wow, I'm a good Christian because I do A, B, and C. Then you say to others, well, you don't do this. You're probably a backslider. And you'll see that's why Christians uh, in the mornings have to take a picture of their quiet time with God. And they have to write it out. They have to let the whole world know. That's, sorry to say, that's spirituality that's not of the Spirit. You've got to blow a trumpet. You've got to make sure everybody knows. 
Otherwise, why bother to do it? This is the good that a person wants to do, then evil is right there and makes even a quiet time an issue of pride, an issue of accomplishment, an issue of, look what a good, successful Christian I am. So everything that we try to do that's not spirit-induced, evil is right there, sin is right there present to twist it, pervert it. Does it make sense? That's why when Paul saw these things and Christ began to teach him these things, he walked away from his Phariseeism lock, stock, and barrel. Because he had arrived at a perfect life, at a righteous life, as he would call himself, flawless, without sin, without fault. And what did he do with that flawlessness? You crucify others. You condemn others. You execute others. Because you compare yourself and you compete yourself against them. This is death. The good that you want to do, bam, it can always be perverted. Unless it is of the Spirit of Christ. So he says, I find that there's a law in me that wants to do good, but then evil is right there. Then he says, I delight actually... In the law of God, according to my inner man. There's a part of me that wants to please God. I want to obey the Ten Commandments. I do not want to worship an idol. I, I want to honor the name of God. But I find that I can't. I want to I do things for God. But I see that there is a different law in my members that wars against that good law in my mind. And it makes me a captive to the law of sin and death. And there you have it in sketch form, beloved. That there is a wrestling match in the body and soul of a man. The good portions in your creation and the fallen portions because of sin. And this is where all religions, sorry to say, live the spiritual life. Let's think good things, let's avoid bad thoughts. Let's do good things, let's avoid bad actions. And that's pretty much where it lives. And God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you will die. So how do we die? We die because of... Obviously the evil, but even worse, we die because of the self-righteousness and the trophy of accomplishment that comes because of our strength. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3 quickly, please. why Paul can contend with the Galatians. You start out in the Spirit. Are you going to try to be perfected through good and evil? You start it in another dimension, another realm, another platform, the realm of the new life, uh, the Spirit. You, you can't go back to the good and evil life, the good and evil tension. You have to learn to mind the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. You've got to absolutely walk away from that good versus evil mindset. In chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul is going to explain a little bit the lifestyle which he lived, this lifestyle of good versus evil, good versus evil. And then once he meets Christ, who is life, he's going to repudiate and abhor and cast away and renounce anything good and obviously anything evil. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. For me, it's not irksome, but for you it is safe. He's endorsing repetition, by the way. I'm going to write these things again and again. 
This is not a bother to me to say it again and again. It's to your benefit. He says in verse 2, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who advance circumcision. In a nutshell, in verse 2, he's trying to say, Beware of those who wants to lure you back to good and this tension of evil. Be aware of evil workers, obviously. Be aware of those who wants to circumcise you and put religion on you. Do good, avoid evil. Do good, beware, beware, beware. He says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision. We are the ones who serve, look at it, by the Spirit of God. We live by the Spirit of God. Our service is not out of an obligation. It's not a checklist. It's not some badge and, and trophy we're trying to achieve. We do this by the Spirit of God. And look at verse 3. And we boast in Christ Jesus. That is a very significant word because religion boasts in the steps and the processes. Religion boasts in the flesh. Look at me. Look how I pray. Look at my circumcision. Look how I live. Now all of you copy me. Copy me. Look at me. And Paul's like, we do not boast in our flesh. We boast in Christ. Verse 3 says, We have no confidence in the... Isn't that amazing? He says in verse 4, Although I might have something to be confident about in the flesh... If any other man thinks that he has confidence in the flesh, he's accomplished something, you've arrived somewhere, y'all, look at me. I have really arrived. So now he goes into his pedigree, his accomplishments, his trophies. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. We got that one right. We're off to a good start. I was of the stock and race of Israel. Ha, the chosen people. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, the most loved, you know, Joseph and Benjamin tribes. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, I am as pure as they come. There's no Samaritan blood within me or Greek or Roman. I am a thoroughbred. Man, I'm holy. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. That is, I kept the law in the Pharisaical tradition who added approximately 2,000 additional laws to the law to serve God and honor God by. A man truly of good works. Jesus would say the Pharisee tithed on the mint in their garden. Every tenth leaf of the mint they would give to God. And that was one of those rules. You give every tenth leaf on the tree, you give to God. Every tenth apple goes to God. These people lived good lives. And Paul is like, I was one of those. Then he says, as to zeal, when it comes to passion, I persecuted the churches. As to righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. Wow. Talk about a good life. Talk about a man who avoided evil. And really leaned into good. Wow. But still, with all of his good and all of his accomplishments, he's still in the tree of death. No fellowship with God. No anointing. No enjoyment of God. It's all a badge. It's all a trophy. Then he comes and he says in verse 7, But what things were gains to me? These I have counted as loss on account of Christ. Wow! Christ comes into this man's life. And all the good and all the evil, it falls by the wayside. And he doesn't reckon himself anymore according to his failures or his successes and his victories and his mishaps. He now reckons himself according to Christ. And he says all of those other things... It means nothing. He says, but moreover, I count all things as loss on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord. Can you see 
how he crosses over and he transitions into the Christ life instead of the self-life, the good life, the evil life. This is wonderful. So he goes on, he says, um, On account of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. It means nothing to me. All the self-rightness and the accomplishments. I just want to gain Christ. And look at verse 9. This is meaningful. He says, I want to be found in Him. That is, I want to be a Christian. I want to be of Christ. I want to be God-like, godly. I don't want to be found in Judaism. Oh, a Pharisee. I don't want to be found within good. This denomination, that sect. That's why he would repudiate to the Corinthians this whole idea of belonging to Paul and Peter and Apollos. He could not stand all these sects. Why? Because if any man is in Christ, you've got to come into this new realm. And that's what Romans is about, is to bring us into this new realm through the righteousness of Christ. And then we live in this new realm and we do good and we avoid evil and we overcome but it's not I, it's by the Spirit of God. I want to be found in Him. And I do not want my own righteousness, which is out of the law. Notice how often he speaks about this. You know that this is one of the major themes of his preaching was the issue of righteousness. And there it is. Good and evil creates a self-righteousness. Trusting Jesus as Messiah creates a Christ-righteousness. The one is death. The one is... Hallelujah! Life and peace. So I do not want my own righteousness, but I want that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is out of God and based on faith. And in closing, verse 10. In verse 10, in a way... There you see some of Paul's hidden agenda. What motivated this man? You might almost say this is another mission statement in his life. In verse 10 he says, I want to know Christ. I'm not pursuing good. I'm not trying to avoid evil. I'm not fixating on this matrix and this tension because it makes me miserable. It gets me nowhere. He says, I want to fixate on the Son of God. I want to know Him. And then he says, I want to know the power of His resurrection. I want to fellowship with Him in His sufferings. And I want to be conformed to His death. I'll even die with Him. If perhaps I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So when Paul in Romans 8 says, By the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, you can see that all throughout his writings he's trying to explain, I can't make myself righteous. I can't really do good. I can't really avoid evil. And this so-called righteousness that I arrive at because of my own effort is no righteousness at all. So Paul really had a conversion. And this, beloved, is Christianity. You are converted out of religion and self, and you're converted, transferred, born into a whole new dynamic of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why he would say, set your mind then on the things which are above where you are seated with Him in the heavenly places. Don't worry about the evil. And I would say to some of y'all, stop worrying about all the residual sin in your being, how often you fall short. Don't fixate on that. Don't go to war on yourself. Lean into the Spirit 
and you will find strength to overcome these things. God wants these things overcome. He wants the body to be used for righteousness sake. He wants you to be a slave unto life and bear proper fruit. So yes, God's going to deal with the good and the evil and all of that dynamic if you can learn to partner with Him. Yeah. Learn to pray in the Spirit. Learn to suffer with the Spirit. Learn to mind the Holy Spirit. Learn to be in the sonship under the leading of the Spirit. And learn to be under the confidence in approaching God. Learn by the Spirit how to subdue. This is the normal Christian life as presented by the Apostle Paul. So those of you who are still in this tension of good versus evil, Paul would say to you, there's a better way to live. Dance with the one that brought you to salvation. Good didn't bring you to salvation, so don't dance with good. Christ brought you to salvation. The Spirit brought you to salvation. Now dance with Him. Well, Francois, I don't know how to dance with God. Set your mind on the Spirit. Incline. Give your attention. Give your prayer, your energy to the things of the Spirit. This is a hint Paul gives us in Romans chapter 8. It's easy, but it does take a little bit of uh, participation, a little bit of practice. It takes a little bit of time. But we can do it. Come on, saints. We can do it. With the Spirit, we can live the normal Christian life.